How about us thank this praise team for leading us and preparing us? <laughs> so I've got to ask you, when you were arriving at church today, entering the parking garage, did you see three beautiful dogs? <laughs> now, all I can tell you, you either loved that or you hated that. <laughs> well, I'm a dog lover to the max, so whether they were dressed in Georgia attire or otherwise, I still would have loved them. Thank you all for being a part of this time of worship today. The life that pleases the Lord. Mm. I know this. It has a whole lot to do with God's Word and people. Why? Because those things last forever. God is all about equipping us to relate well with people and to prioritize relationships with others. Relationships. Friendships that God uses us to enrich. So last week we were asking the question, well, what does God's calling on my life look like? So we sought to describe that through the parable of the loaves and fishes. Today, we want to answer this question. How do I live out God's calling on my life? It's a worthy question, isn't it? I know as we seek to grow in our walk with Christ, this thing of pleasing the Lord it's on our minds often. So what kind of life, my lane, what does that look like in pleasing Him? Now, you know, we, we live in a time where relationships, friendships are sometimes hard to make because our society is kind of twisted right now. Wouldn't you agree? So, folks, when I was uh, starting ministry... Back in 1980, in Salem, Virginia, at West Salem Baptist Church, I was scared to death. Never been a senior pastor before at 24 years of age. But some guys took me on and kind of mentored me. One of which was, uh, and he's in the Hall of Fame for country music D DJ. His name is King Edward Smith. And Renee and I, really fell into spending time with his family. And on one Sunday night after church, we were just talking. And King Edward, you know, he never graduated college and all of that, but you know, there are just some people that are all about wisdom, like those kind of people. And King Edward said this to me. He said, Mike, if through all of your years of ministry, if, if you can count on the fingers of one hand, which would be five, <laughs> those people who have stood by you, even in the good times and the bad times, when you did things well and when you did not, but they are with you still, you know what he told me? You will have been a success. 
Well, at last count, I'm up to three. <laughs> Dean, I'm counting on you, and I'm definitely counting on my wife. <laughs> but you know, it, it really is true. This thing of God's calling upon our lives, it's got everything to do with people that God leads into your path of life, and you just feel compelled as you are equipped to offer words of truth from God's Word. You agree with that? You know, last week in the opening, I asked this question, what is our salvation for? Just to review briefly, a lot of times we look at salvation from a selfish point of view, almost bordering on narcissism. I get saved. I'm forgiven. God has a plan for my life. He has gifted my life. He is blessing my family. You get the point? But you know, salvation has another side to it entirely. What is my salvation for? Maybe our salvation is about getting beyond ourselves so that we find ourselves with a smile on our face, giving ourselves away in service to others. That's what we want to talk about today. The privilege and the joy to be an image bearer for Christ. Wow. So when we think about our lives and a life that truly pleases the Lord, I can't help but think so much about the centrality of Christ in who He is and through His Holy Spirit, equipping me, empowering me to where I become passionate to mirror His life. And we really want to talk a whole lot about this in an effort to answer that question how do I live out God's calling on my life? Is it about, if it is about people, if it is about God's Word, what does that look like? You know, in, in John's Gospel, and I've spent a lot of time in that fourth Gospel this week for sure, Jesus tells us, in John chapter 6, that he is the bread of life. But you know, along with that, he says other things about himself. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. It is Christ and Christ alone. So, last week, Jesus fed the 5,000. You include the women and children. You're upwards of 20,000. And today, we are going to be hearing of Christ 
in response to the miracle he performed, speaking to the audience of those who were the recipients of that miracle. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. And uh, this is the English Standard Version, and I encourage you to take a copy of the Scriptures in the uh, rack right below your seat and follow along. Again, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the breath of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. So as we think about the life that pleases God, I want us to see in John's gospel that John uses the word life, zoe. In the Greek, there are three words. The one we think about today is zoe, which is the abundant life, living life to the fullest, meaning purpose. John uses this word 36 times in his gospel. When we read about the words of Christ, where he says, I am the bread of life, it really does come down to perishable bread and imperishable bread. Agreed? If you are building your life on that which is of this world, Jesus likens such a life to one who is partaking of perishable bread. 
You know, we read just a moment ago that those who experienced that miracle, they ate and ate and ate. They got their fill. But guys, if you're like me, you eat lunch and two hours later you're hungry again. Such is the case with living a perishable life. Jesus is wanting to direct them to considering the life that is built upon that which is imperishable, namely on Christ himself, as he says, I really am the bread of life. So let's get back to relationships just for a moment. You know, we, we live in a day and age where... Um, relationships are somewhat conditional it's kind of a works-oriented thing jesus had no sooner performed that miracle that those who were the recipients of that miracle asked him what do you do what do we do to experience the works of god have you ever been a part of a works-oriented or performance-oriented relationship where you're only as good as your last 30 days if you're in sales. And, and the pressure is always on you to perform in such a way to keep that relationship going. Even in your professional life, you want to live out a life so as not to have the boss question you or wonder about you and you're either having good days or bad days because that relationship is based upon performance how many of you have have ever experienced being in a relationship like that and sometimes it's a marriage yeah sometimes it's work in athletics I mean, it is everywhere these days, and such is a part of perishable living because what Jesus is saying to this crowd is that he is the one, the bread that I gives to him will satisfy, not leaving you hungry or wanting or wondering. Make sense? So this parable... And that which results from it, it's a special kind of insight to where you can choose to live in your relational life out of that which is perishable. Relationships come and go. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's not God's plan. I so appreciate Ray's prayer from the standpoint of the love of this fellowship now folks I want you to know this I was talking with Dr. Youssef on one occasion I was talking to him about the health of this church family the love of this church family and you're a part of that and you know when you live through decades of ministry the twists and turns the highs and the lows Sometimes you can just get worn out. But when God opened the door for me to be a part of this pastoral team, 
and to work alongside such wonderful, wonderful men and women in ministry. I told him, Dr. Youssef, I am more fit today than I've ever been in my Christian life. I can tell you, life in Virginia, in a middle-sized Southern Baptist church, it wore me slap out. <laughs> you try preaching five times a week and doing everything else. And Dr. Youssef just looked at me, had a smile on his face. And I, <laughs> I closed out that conversation and I said, Dr. Youssef, I sure wish you would have come along 30 years ago. <laughs> it is true. We're a part of a church that is healthy. God's word is being taught. How we can live that out in relationships. Am I? Yeah, I, I think we really get that. And as a result of that, we are living out this thing of Jesus being the bread of life. And, and, and we're, we're not bankrupt in spirit. But we are so blessed and we continue on. Jesus is the one who truly satisfies. So I'm talking to you about what. Now let me turn the corner and talk with you about how. How do we live that out? Well, it's pretty simple. You live out your life under the power of God's Spirit just like Jesus Christ lived out His life and ministry. You treat people, you speak with people. Again, people and God's Word last forever. And you know, sometimes you have to prioritize that. You pray for the opportunities to invest in people's lives. Now, now, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about what that looks like through the lens of Christ's ministry. I want to talk about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. You know the story well. Now, what we know is, and what's often preached from that chapter, is that this woman, after hearing Christ talk about this water that he can give her where she will never thirst again, what does the woman say? Anybody? Sir, give me this water that I may never thirst again. And then it pretty much ends at that point. But what struck me is what happened when he went to the Samaritan village because the woman went back in town, we know that, he, that she is living a morally depraved life. Moral depravity resulted in a life of loneliness and isolation. She comes to the, to the well by herself for that very reason. Now the other women in town wanted to be seen at Jacob's well with her. So she goes back in town. That to me is very, very significant that all of a sudden she is willing to announce publicly in the town of her experience in talking with Christ. And she says to all of those in the town 
and the men, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Hmm, come and see. And sure enough, Christ stays in that village for two days. And upon arrival, he is speaking as he listens. He is speaking to these people about who he is. And the latter part of the story is so intriguing because these men, they say to this woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, but because of what we have heard. Hmm. Because of what we have heard. For this is indeed the Savior of the world. That part of the story is so often overlooked. But look what happened when Jesus spent time with this woman talking about truth and extending his love to her. Her life is transformed. She goes into town tells everybody Jesus comes into that town and spends two days and there's a revival because these men in the city are no longer believing who Christ is because of what the woman said. They are believing because of what he has told them about himself. This is truly the Savior of the world. Do you think revival happened? <laughs> Sometimes we don't use that word a whole lot anymore. But such was the case for the Samaritan woman. So as we are living out our lives, not performance-based, but living under the influence and the power of God's Spirit moving upon our lives, people are going to be the recipients of how God has blessed you He's going to use you to bless them. Ah, the woman at the well. So for the morally depraved, some live lives that you know, it's kind of in the darkness. Are you willing to go to be seen with? The place where I live is a small city. You didn't have to tell anybody. <laughs> they already knew. But nothing would stop Christ from speaking to the outcast. The next one I want to point out to you is the rich young ruler. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking to this young man, and it tells us in Scripture that he is very, very rich. You know the story. And Jesus asked him, 
And he gave a great response as to all of the laws he was consistently following. But you know, Jesus has a way of hitting what we try to bury and hide. Jesus said, and you know what he said, he said, you still like one thing. Go and sell all that you have and then come. It wasn't that Christ was reducing to a works-oriented, but he knew what this young man was holding on to that kept him from that bread that satisfies, the water that satisfies. Sometimes we hang on to the perishable and neglect and forget that which is imperishable. Make sense? If you read that account in Luke chapter 18, it tells us that this young man went away sad. And you know, sometimes reorienting life and getting things squared with the Lord to where you are really building your life upon that which is imperishable can be a little painful, can it? Sometimes you need some help. You need some counsel. You need some encouragement. But the young man chose to go away. Now, who was this young man speaking with? He was speaking with God the Son. Can you imagine this young man looking into the eyes of Christ and not choosing to go forward with Christ's desires for his life? And he goes away and he was sad. There's, there's another person that comes to my mind when we think about living out God's calling upon our lives. Christ was about encouraging and coming alongside those who are morally depraved or those who are so caught up in riches. But Thomas, Thomas the disciple, if you were to put a descriptor in front of his name, what would that be? Doubting Thomas. Bless his heart. He's, he's remembered for hundreds and hundreds of years as a guy doubting. Yeah, he, he was kind of given to, kind of like an Eeyore. But I want to tell you a few things about Thomas's life. He was a man of deep conviction. He felt deeply. And when Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick and that he had died, he told his disciples that he's going to see Mary and Martha. You know, they lived right next door to Jerusalem. And these disciples were wanting to uh, keep him from all harm. And so these disciples didn't think that was a good idea. But you know what Thomas said? Let us go and die with him. So this guy who doubted was willing to give it all. 
And then we see Thomas at a point in John chapter 14. Jesus is telling them that he's going away. And to show the depth of feeling and, and commitment and respect that Thomas had for Christ, he couldn't bear what he was hearing. He was so troubled. Thomas, heartbroken because he could not fathom not being with his Lord. Mm. That kind of love and devotion that Thomas had, amazing. Thomas, the disciple. You know, it doesn't stop there because when Jesus Christ died on that cross, Thomas was one who who lost all hope. The dream for his life, grieving. That was such a difficult, difficult time for Thomas. And you know, when you get hurt real badly, sometimes you lose your faith. And so Jesus appears to the disciples, but it tells us this, Thomas wasn't there. And then it was a short time later that Jesus appears. So when Jesus shows up and Thomas isn't there, the disciples eventually tell him that they've seen the Lord. And, and Thomas, he said this, Unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger there, and my hand touches his side, I will not believe. Has life ever come to you in such a way to where you've lost hope, even that which is most important to you, your faith. Times in which we live, that's happened to many. Well, well, let me finish the story. So Jesus does appear with the disciples. And Jesus makes a beeline for Thomas. And you know what? Jesus didn't say, well, all right, Thomas. I understand you got a little beef with me. No, Jesus asked him, Thomas, come and touch the nail prints in my hands. Thomas, come and with your hand feel my side. Jesus knew what Thomas was going through. Folks, I... I guess as we kind of wind this down, it is so easy for us to make our faith journey a cerebral journey with our heads and our, our hearts are nowhere to be found. It's like a mental exercise. But do you see how Christ touches 
the hearts of these people? Some of us wonder, well, whatever happened to Thomas? Reliable traditions tell us that Thomas went to India. And we know the airport there in Chennai, India, the southern part of India, there's a hill there. And it is said that that is where Thomas is buried. A little bit more about Thomas. The way he died, he was martyred for his faith. Yes, he planted churches. Many today, they say, can be traceable back to the first century when the church started. Not bad. You know how he was martyred? He was run through with a spear. Fitting, isn't it? That Thomas, unless I put my hand in his side where the spear went through, I will not believe. Because Jesus did not judge, but he came and spoke with Thomas. Thomas, put your hand into my side. What do you think that did for Thomas? That was a moment that bolstered him for the rest of his life. And how he went so, so far, hundreds of miles to India. I don't think he ever forgot that moment. Let me say this. God wants to use you as you live out God's calling on your life. He has a lane for you and people that are going to be in that lane of your life. You know, he's going to provide you moments where what you say to that person who so needs some counsel, who so needs your time, who needs you, not your money, but you, God is going to use you. And I can tell you this, that person is never, never, never going to forget what you've said because it's not your words. It's God's words that he put in your heart. Agreed? So what does God's calling look like? What is our salvation for? Folks, I tell you, as I shared last week, and I, and I just want to share it just for emphasis sake. Do you remember Hans and Sophie Scholl in Germany? Third Reich's taking shape, Hitler. They were willing to take a stand. They were close to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was one thing that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. I am a Christian. I am a German. Therefore, I am responsible for Germany. That's called taking ownership of a country in turmoil. 
folks, we cannot do less. I'm Mike Slaughter. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Therefore, I am responsible for America. My closing words has to do with everyday people. You're thinking that. You know, you're uh, mentioning these people that are now recorded in Scripture. I mean, they had their moment with Christ himself. Mm, I don't know about where I'm concerned. I'm going to close with uh, a little thought about my mother. My mother was uh, not a college graduate, but she had a whole lot of wisdom. And when she really wanted to make a point, her eyes got real big. <laughs> and she got my undivided attention. My mother came to Christ as a young adult because of an investment of a pastor who loved her and loved my dad. They both came to Christ and were baptized at the same time. He discipled them. And uh, my mother had a uh, real love for cooking. Oh, and I love that. <laughs> you know, my mom, in addition to teaching in the student department, my mother was a church hostess. People loved her cooking. For years and years and years, she just served. I'm going to fast forward 15 years. My mom was the tender age of 48 when she contracted metastatic breast cancer. And I remember mom calling me. This isn't a sad story, so just stay with me. I remember mom calling me, and she told me that the cancer had come back. And mom told me this. She said, son, you didn't expect to have your mother with you all the time, did you? Mm. Some things you never forget. Yeah, she passed away at the tender age of 46 or 56. The day of her funeral, sanctuary would seat about uh, 1,100 people. I was privileged to do her funeral. And that place was packed. Hundreds and hundreds of people coming to the funeral of the church hostess. Don't tell me your life doesn't matter. God wants to take you and use you. I said something last week, and I used the verse out of 1 Corinthians. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's what we're talking about. Look what God did for my mom in using her in such an incredible way. And you know, people are still talking about her. Amazing. The life that God pleases, that blesses.
You're not left out unless you want to be left out. You want to get on that train? Andre Crouch used to sing a song, People Get Ready. There's a train coming. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, as we enter into such a sweet time of considering decisions to make, changes to make, things to remember. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving us such a pattern, such an example. And because your Holy Spirit lives within us, the life that you live, we can reflect the very same life where people matter. And Father, if we're going to serve them well, oh, that we would embrace and become even more passionate about your Holy Word. Oh, God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. And may we take this message which you have placed on our hearts with us in these coming days. And all people said, Amen. Amen.